1: looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: I went Bible college back in the 70s and as dean of men my job was to be involved in the chapel program and every day they had chapel at nine o'clock and sometimes the faculty would speak and sometimes they would bring in guest speakers and this one particular day they had a guest speaker come in and this lady came in a big van a handy van like van and had her little entourage with her and i met her underneath the canopy in the front of the college and helped her get into the chapel area and then got a chance to introduce her to the group and She was paralyzed, really, from her neck down, and as she came up, she began to give her testimony. Many of the people knew her, and some didn't. She wasn't as famous then as she is now, and as she gave her testimony, she talked about how that she was just like many of us, living life, enjoying life, and had a conscious awareness of God, and knew that God was important, but didn't really seek Him with a whole heart, And she was swimming, and as she was swimming and diving off this platform, she dove into the water like all the other people were doing. But where she dove, there was a big boulder under the water, and it snapped her neck. She almost drowned. So they got her to the surface, and then they put her into the hospital, of course, and she went on the revolving bed. And it was during that time that she realized how much that she missed out by not seeking God. And she decided not to get angry at God. Why me? Why this? Why now? Like I talked about last week but Lord now I know you have a purpose in this I need to discover what it is so she's sharing her testimony as she went through this her testimony went something like this at the end she said before I was paralyzed from the neck up but now I'm just paralyzed from the neck down my mind and my heart is fully on the Lord when she finished speaking the next thing that uh, we did is we had hooked to her mobile wheelchair uh, kind of a, a pallet like a board, an easel. And then she had someone take one of those simple little pens that we use, a felt-tip marker pen, and put it in her mouth. And then I watched her for about 10 minutes with beautiful, quiet, spiritual praise music. And she's just doing this and just doing this. And at the very end, there was this absolutely gorgeous picture that she had drawn with a pen in her mouth, and then she signed it, Johnny. And that was Johnny Erickson, and now she's Johnny Erickson Tata, And I got thinking about people, and perhaps we're very much like her, maybe not to the same extreme, of course, of being paralyzed, but we go through life and something really hits us. I mean, our life is changed dramatically through some crisis or trauma. There are people then really find the Lord. You that have been saved as a Christian a long time, you probably have heard testimonies very much like Johnny's that went to the Lord. We also have heard those that even went further from the Lord, and oh, how they then deal with their tragedy, I I, I just will never know. But I'm not here to try to prepare you for the tragedy, as much as I'm thinking about her testimony since then, is the sweetness of the intimacy with the Lord. Since then, the Lord has used her so mightily that she has her own ministry, Johnny and Friends, radio program. She's been doing this for many decades. Many people have been turned to the Lord because of her tragedy of what went on. But that's not what excites her. What excites her is the presence of God in her life every moment of every day and the intimacy that she has with the Lord no matter what. Now I'm telling you that now to say simply this. It's not about, I need, it's like the Lord's a spare tire when I have a flat tire, you know. He, he's not the generator when the lights go out, you know. I want us to have an intimacy with God that we would enjoy even when we don't have trauma, when we don't go through those dramatic things like Johnny had gone through those events, so that we could enjoy what she only could enjoy after she went through that event. Now maybe some of you are on the other side and you know God is God and he's there and you compartmentalize him. Maybe he's a Sunday God to you. Maybe he's a crisis God to you. Maybe he's when you want to go with the right people crowd God. I I don't know. But my heart as your pastor and as your friend is, I want you to know the Lord intimately as you can through your personality and your level of growing in the Lord the best you can right now so you can enjoy him forever regardless of whatever happens. And true, when life does happen, we will be able to handle it so much better. And perhaps even by that, many people will be turned unto him. Well, shortly we're going to be watching, many of us, the Olympics on television. It'll be the Winter Olympics. And I'll tell you that those people who are successful in their sports, especially the Olympics, you know that they have been pursuing their dream often for many years through intensive training, intensive training. Back in the 90s, I was pastoring in upstate New York and I had one of our deacons. He and his wife wanted a treat, Carol and me, for my birthday. So they took me up to the famous Olympic stadium area called Lake Placid. You perhaps have heard of Lake Placid. And while we were there, we got a chance to see where they did those special little runs with the, 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 um, the skis and all the ski jumps. And I mean, huge. I mean, you could see it from a distance. Now, the Olympics weren't on, but you could see the Lake Placid Olympic Park. And as we were going there he was showing me where everything was and we ended up at the event where that they have done for so many years in Lake Placid and where they train today, the Olympic bobsled team. In fact, I'm told that Lake Placid is the only Olympic bobsled track that's still made out of wood and they have to prepare it and all the twists and all the turns. Well, when we got there, he said, I want you to see this track. And as we were coming up to the special window, he then stopped and he says, For your birthday, I want you to know that I've arranged that you are going to go on a bobsled with the Olympic bobsled team that's in training. I said, Say what? And uh, see, I don't do cold, I do sun, surf, and sand, you know? And so he said, You're going to do this. And I said, All right. So you had to go through the training. What I'm talking about training, don't look sideways because you're going too fast and you can hit the wall. Look straight hold your head as stiff as you can, keep your arms in, and look straight ahead. And I'm saying, this is supposed to be fun? All right, so we're looking at this, and I get this. Then you sign your life away, so if anything ever happens, they're they're not going to be sued. And so now we get into this. Two of the Olympic guys, one in the front, one in the back, the deacon in front of me directly, me, and then the brakeman behind me. Now they're outside the bobsled. It's just Jim and me in this sled. These guys train every single day that they can have enough ice on the track to practice. They have multiple teams. They do it all day long and they do all their weights and all of that. So we got into this thing and Carol was stationed about halfway down the track. It's about a mile and a half track and they have a little place where you can take pictures. So I said, you've got to get a picture of this Carol. So she's all ready to go. So now they take off on this bobsled, and they're running alongside. You've seen them do that. Then they got to jump in, and so they plop right in, and now all of a sudden we are going. This is no amusement park ride. We are now traveling so fast. You're jiggling so much. You feel all your organs jiggling this way. Then you're hitting the different curves, and one of the curves, you hit it so fast, so hard, it's like G-force, and you whip around, and... By the time I ended, which was a minute, it took about a minute and a half to go through this thing, I said, Carol, did you get a picture? She said, no, you were going so fast it was a blur, you know, so I didn't even get a documentation of that. The point still being, we had a chance to talk to these guys and the arduous training that they do so that they could win that gold medal. And I can understand the the joy and the excitement, especially of representing a country. But at the same time as I know that they're doing that, they have beating in their chest what we often hear The heart of a champion. You've heard that. They usually do that song, We Are Champions. Because that's what they really want. Now why would I be telling you this? Because as these people do, and other professions and sports do similar things, I'm wondering if Christians at the same time would have beating in our chest the heart of someone who is wholeheartedly seeking the Lord. Now, some of you that are so far on the outside of all Christianity, you might be thinking, oh, I know what he's talking about. They're trying to get more monks in monasteries. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whatever you are, like I like to say, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever you are, your heart is still a heart of a spiritual champion because you are seeking after God, not motivated because God had to knock you side of the head to get your attention. It's just because you know it's the right thing to do. Now some of you are maybe looking at the Bible and you're hearing that and saying, oh, that's a nice message, that's a great spiritual message right there. I want you to know that truly, seeking God wholeheartedly is really not an option. You see, I have here before us, and you have on your lap, you have the Word of God. This Bible has not been written by men. Oh yeah, man might have written it down physically, but this is truly God's mind on paper. And the beauty of it all is that God has chosen to reveal himself through nature, through his son, but also through the inerrant word of God. So the Bible is historically accurate. It is prophetically accurate. It is scientifically accurate. It is archaeologically accurate. It has been around so long that if there were genuine fallacies and errors in this, it had been a hoax and proven so that we would not have the Bible today. So I want you to know that we are holding before us right now a word that has been preserved in its accuracy and sufficient for us. And in this word, it reveals there is a God that Jesus Christ and God, all one, is the only God. And he desires for us to have fellowship with him and intimacy, not because he's lonely, but so that we can enjoy him forever and have that beautiful relationship. So I don't know where you are right now, but I would pray that at least for the next uh, 30 minutes or so that you would lean your, your thinking and your heart into this message and perhaps you would then say, I want to know this God. Yeah, I want to know him intellectually, academically, but I also want to know him personally because he's a God that's not an idol. He's a God who is not way up there in some existential area. He is a God who is knowable bull. And I want to know him the best that I can. And I pray that might be your case. So today we want to talk about seeking God wholeheartedly. And I'm excited because this is, although at the end of a series, this is an amazing series that we're studying. So let me give you some, what I might say, marks of the champion of someone who is wholeheartedly seeking the Lord. And I'm only going to give us six today because in this six, This will get us in the right direction for those of you that really want to seek him wholeheartedly. So let's go over principle number one. We seek seek God wholeheartedly by humbling ourselves, by confessing our pride, and acknowledging our complete dependence on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. I know that's a mouthful, and I chose it to be a mouthful larger than a lot of my other points and other sermons because I wanted you to see the fullness of it in one point. Would you look at it up on the screen and read it out loud with me? Will you do that? Can you see it behind me? We seek God wholeheartedly by humbling ourselves, by confessing our pride, and acknowledging our complete dependence on Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sin. So, if you really are going to seek the Lord, He wants us to seek Him with a proper heart, not just, like I said, as a spare tire. But that he is all God and the only God. And to do that, the first thing we need to do is to humble ourselves. Now that in itself is an entire message. Humbling ourselves before him. But simply that says this. We humble ourselves to realize that he is God. There is a God. He is knowable. We don't know him like we want to and like we should. And so we humbly say that before him. Lord, we want all of you. And we want to know you. We are nothing and you are everything. That's the humbling part. We also have to do that in conjunction with the confession of our sin, of our pride. And some of us, we have this pride because we've chosen to manufacture our own God. And he's pretty close to what the Bible says, at least the parts of the Bible that we really like, that he's benevolent and he's caring and he's good and he takes care of me and all of that. But we have to embrace all of God. And to do that, there has to be the, not the reduction of pride, there has to be the elimination of pride because even in Psalms it says, if you have pride, you cannot know God. So again, that pride is one of the greatest sins, if not the greatest sin, that keeps us from believing, that then degenerates into us forever not knowing God until we deal with pride. And so that we have to break. And then the last part of that, it says we have to acknowledge our complete dependence upon Jesus Christ alone and I like that phrase complete dependence that means I don't depend upon the Lord and then I depend upon myself now for those that are non-Christians to become a Christian you don't depend upon yourself to get to heaven and that would be any religious things you choose you don't depend upon yourself would be any social things that you think is right or you even think God would want you to do in order to get the forgiveness of sin So you don't depend on yourself the phrase says completely depend on him so it also doesn't mean I could depend upon Christ and then I depend upon myself or I depend upon Christ and I depend upon maybe other things socially that I'm going to do so in other words it is a complete dependence only on Jesus Christ now that in itself is probably the hardest thing to do I find that when I'm explaining salvation to people that they have to trust Christ as Savior it is harder to get them to understand that they're lost than it is for them to understand that it's by faith alone in Christ. It's because pride is that barrier. And if we're going to seek the Lord, then we have to do business by humbling ourselves, realizing that we have pride, dealing with that pride, confessing that it's there, of course. And of course, when we do that, there's that forgiveness of that. And we're depending solely and totally upon Christ in Christ alone. Now, this point can be a little confusing because of two different groups that I could speak this to. So let me speak to one group first, and then I'm going to speak to the second group, but the truths are for both groups. The first group would be for those who um, are outside of God. They're outside of Christ. They're kind of looking in through the windows. They want to kind of, what is it? What are Christians? like? What is all this thing about God? They themselves are not a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. This principle still works for you. When I come to Christ, I need to know all the facts about who He is, what He's done, what I do, what I don't do. All of that is true, but that doesn't get me into heaven. It's when I do business with those facts and realize I need Christ, and this is the formula for me understanding the person and the work of Christ. I come then, what am I doing then? That's admitting, I don't know this. This is the truth. I didn't have it right before. This is right. I was wrong. That's the humbling. The pride is saying... I can't lean on any of my stuff so I can't brag about it when I get to heaven. And then it's saying, I am now totally relying on Christ. It's because of those facts that I know. It's because of those facts that Christ did those facts. Now I'm trusting in Christ of those facts and that becomes my salvation. Now I'm totally seeking him with my whole heart regarding salvation. That part of it. Same truth for those of you that know Christ as Savior. The vast majority of you it's the same thing if you really want to know him not about him but you want to know him that'll translate into or result in a greater intimacy with him Then every moment of every day we have to own the fact that we have pride it fights against our humility it begins to make us often feel good because we focus more on our good deeds than our other deeds and we start looking at all the great things that we might have done or could do or whatever Instead of realizing that getting saved, becoming a Christian is by faith alone, but also walking in Him every day, although I'll do things, it's still born on, I am trusting and trusting in Him alone to bring these things out of my life. That takes humility. That takes a confession of my pride. But then it takes the next step. It's not just, hey, beat up on myself and now I have intimacy with the Lord. Yes, it is to admit that I can't do it myself because my heart is wicked and the sin between me and the Lord as a Christian. But now I'm going to depend upon Him because I receive. Watch this, watch this now. The forgiveness forever of my sin, the moment I trusted Christ, all sin forever. Now the momentary sins that I do, my practical sins, my heart sins, my thought sins, my walk sins, those things that I do, I depend upon Him to forgive me of those sins. Now, I confess those sins because he says so, so I depend upon him when he says, confess your sins and they'll be forgiven. So now he says, do it, I do it. I'm depending on him that if I did what he said he's going to do, my sins are forgiven, so now I have the forgiveness of sin. Now, all of that is when I don't try to do it myself, I don't try to work my own way into having this heart seeking toward the Lord, it's when I do it his way, and I seek him with a whole heart. So really, folks, it all boils down to, in order to really seek him, you've got to get your heart right a full dependence upon him look at the verses now that I've given to you there's many of them, but I have selected a few let's look here in Isaiah 57 verse 15 here's what it says it says for thus says the high and exalted one that would be the Lord Jehovah Adonai Elohim who lives forever that's the eternality of God which means that this was written in the days of Isaiah the prophet about God who was before Isaiah It's written about the God who is alive today. It's the God who has ever been. There's no beginning, no end. Time is nothing more than an island in the sea of God's eternity. One who lives forever. Lives means he's alive. He's not a rock. He's not a stone. He's not inanimate. There's a personality about him. Whose name is holy. And then here's what he says. This God, this God who's alive today. This God who is looking at your mind and your heart where you're seated in this room today. He's alive today and he says, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. Now stop for a moment. That is very, very unique and I can't even understand it and I'm glad I can't understand it because if I did understand all of this here, then I would know as much as God and that would mean that God is no better or no greater than I am. So I don't need that. I need a God who's bigger and greater than I am. So I don't understand it. But I can make a little sense out of this. This tells me that the Lord can be at every place, any place he wants, because he's always present. So he is in heaven, but watch. He is also abiding intimately with those that have a correct heart towards him. And he defines what that correct heart is. So we don't have this distant God that we're going to go visit someday. We have a God that we know theologically is around here, but we also have a God that's right here with those who are wanting to be intimate, that have a whole heart toward him. That's the kind of God you want to enjoy. Let me go a little bit further. It says. Also with those with a contrite and lowly of spirit. And now he says. I'm with you if you have that spirit. But I don't want you to just be this beat up person. He says. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly. And to revive the heart of the contrite. Implying that. If you want me. I will be with you because you're broken. But I'm not going to leave you broken. I'm now going to be with you to revive you. To give you that spirit of a feeling of well-being, spiritual well-being, I will be with you. Those of you who are married and have a good relationship in your marriage, and I pray you all have and you all are working toward that, Carol and I have, I think, a really good relationship. Now there are times that um, uh, Carol's not right, but other than that, no, no, no. There are times that we have a bad hair day. We do that. But I will tell you that um, Carol and I are truly are each other's best friends. Now this doesn't leave the Lord out. But when Carol is, is um, off-island, re- there's a real sense of loss. I mean, the house turns into a bachelor pad, if you know what I mean. She's not there. We call each other. It's a joke around her family. Oh, that must be Stan on the line again. There's that communication going on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm not one of those that even if I watch TV, that I like to watch TV by myself. I just like being in Carol's presence. And most of the time, I think she likes being in my presence. It's that intimacy that we have with each other. And that intimacy is not always born on, if you understand, the sexual intimacy. You're always going to have that and it should be in a marriage. But what I am saying is, it's that into me see that we have. That freedom to say, Carol, look into me. There's nothing I want to hide from you. Maybe I want to hide it from you, but I won't. In the same way. Well, that's on a human level and, and we're okay for each other. We're proud of it. I think we're very good for each other but we'll never be great because only we can have that intimacy with the Lord because He really knows because sometimes I'm trying to explain, this is what I'm thinking, this is how I feel, Carol, and I don't do a good job. I try, she does, I can, we don't do a good job, but we know God knows us and that's why we can have that intimacy with Him. That's what that verse is all about, to revive us. But you have to have a lowly spirit, a humble spirit, a dependent spirit. Notice the next verse, James 4, 6 says, Be he, the Lord, gives a greater grace... Now, some of you, when you read that, you think, greater grace? I thought grace is grace. How can there be greater grace? Well, technically, you have what we call common grace. The common grace is is that no matter how bad you are, you get a chance to breathe air. I don't care if you're the worst terrorist in the world. You get a chance to breathe air. You drink water on planet Earth. That's part of my water on planet Earth that we have. That's God's grace that's bestowing upon you and me. That's his gift to us to sustain life, etc. Then you have the greater grace, and that's the grace that gets us to engage in Him intimately and, and purposely. That grace is now given to us when we come to Him humbly and say, Lord, I need you as my Savior. That's why we're saved by grace through faith and is not of our any good works. So He says, I will take you into my forever family. That's what that next verse is talking about. We're saved by His grace. That's the greater grace. And when I get that greater grace, that same grace that saves me, this is beautiful. Keeps me forever saved in his family. I will never get kicked out of his family. When I'm bad, it's his grace that disciplines me. Read all about that in Titus. And then it also says that that same grace is not just saving me, keeping me, and disciplining me, but that same grace is also teaching me how to walk in a way that will develop my intimacy with the Lord and further his kingdom building. So his grace is a greater grace. And that grace is available to you today, right now, as you're hearing my voice. All of that is all based on Him. Now here's my point. Who would not want to have intimacy with Him? Well, I'll answer that. Often those people, when life gives them a horrible blow and they begin to point their bony finger at God and say, I can't do, I don't believe, there's no God. I can't believe, I can't ever believe in a God like that. You might be listening right now and I'm not marginalizing you and I'm not mocking you. As a pastor for so many years, I, I've had those days early on. Not so much now. And if they do start swimming into my mind, I usually quickly shove them out. But but here it is. Here's my point. When you look to the Lord and you have those bad days at that point, I want you to know that God still loves you and He is wooing you right now. And He says... While you may never get that leg back that was blown off in battle. While you may never get back that mate who left you for another person. While you may never have that teenager who at one time loved you and sat in your lap. Is now running and fleeing for that which you love and believe. He says, I will never leave you. And, watch, and you get heaven beyond this world.